Welcome to this season of the Unfinished Business Podcast. Over the next few weeks and months, I'll be discussing art directing for the web with my guests, who are some of the most experienced art directors and designers working on the web today. I'm your host, Andy Clark, and I'm writing a hard-boiled web design book about art directing for the web. And you can find out more about that at stuffandnonsense.co.uk slash books. Now, this season of Unfinished Business is proudly sponsored by Coffee Cup Software, and in particular, their new CSS Grid Builder. If you're the type of designer or developer that likes tools to do their dirty work for them, CSS Grid Builder might just be the thing for you. Now, you might have used what you see is what you get editors before, so you're probably remembering just how lousy the code they spat out was. But let me stop you there. CSS Grid Builder outputs excellent code. Browsers developer tools are getting better at inspecting grids, but CSS Grid Builder helps you build them, obviously. At its core, CSS Grid Builder is a Chromium-based browser that's wrapped in a user interface, so it runs on Mac OS and Windows. This means that if the browser can render it, CSS Grid Builder can write it. In fact, CSS Grid Builder builds more than just grids, and you can use it to create styles for backgrounds, including gradients, which is really handy, borders, typography. It even handles Flexbox and multi-column layouts. But designing a grid is the app's biggest draw, because when you're new to CSS Grid, visualizing how its columns and rows combine to form a layout can be one of the hardest parts of learning how it works. You create a grid, use sliders to preview the results at various breakpoints, and if you're one of those people who's worried about other people using incapable browsers, CSS Grid Builder also offers settings where you can configure fallbacks. Then just copy and paste CSS styles into somewhere else in your project, or you can export the whole kit and caboodle. Best of all, CSS Grid Builder is currently free. Yes, you heard that right. It's free while Coffee Cup Software develop it. And if you like what they're doing, you can throw the few dollars their way to help fund its development. You can find out more and download CSS Grid Builder at cssgrid.cc. On with the show. Well, I thought that we should start off by talking about the most important topic of the day, of course, is what order do you put your colour pencils in? <laughs> I don't think I've actually got any. I'm just looking. There's a pen pot here which has some little pens that I quite like, which are colourful. These micron pens which are very fine tip things and I sometimes draw a flower on my notebook and sometimes a duck I like to draw a duck while I'm on the phone sometimes so I've got some colored pens but oh and I've got one of those you know those pens where you get several color inks in one Ooh, pen they're, they're a technical marvel they are yeah I've got one of those it's only got four colors it's not not a particularly exciting one which but hypothetically Hypothetically. Hypothetically, if somebody, if, if Drew was to buy you a beautiful Karen Dash set of colored pencils, because he thought that it was, you know, a romantic wedding anniversary gift, which to be honest, it would be. I'd love that. Not from Drew, obviously. But if you did get the pencils and, you know, you took them out and you put them in the pencil pot rather than keep them in the presentation case, and then you wanted to put them back in the presentation case, because that's what I do. Do you, do you group them by color, you know, greens and blues or yellows? Or do you, would you want to group them by, you know, like how much you've used them so that they go kind of big to small or small to big? You're, you're an analytical person. You know, you must have thought about this. 
Oh, I think by colour. Um, in front of me here is a Visibone WebSafe colour chart. Do you remember those? I've got one of those on my wall when we used to have WebSafe colours that we cared about. And so I've got this chart. All 256 of them. Yes. No, there wasn't 256. There was, there was less. Yeah, there's, well, there was, what was it? There was 200, was it 216? I thought it would say on here somewhere that were. Yeah, I think it's 216. The very safe ones. Yeah. And then there were sort of, there were extra ones that were kind of safe. So, yes, I've got that. And there, so, so anyway, that has them arranged kind of by hue. And I think, yes, if I had a big set of colored pencils, that's probably how I'd arrange them. So, like, you know, it would go through all the blues and then into the purples. And yeah, that's, that's probably how I would sort them out. There we go. That's the answer I was looking for. You know, it's weird about talking about WebSafe colours because I can remember, you know, you used to have WebSafe palettes in Photoshop or Fireworks at the time. Yeah. Linda Weinman built a multi-billion dollar business empire on WebSafe colours. Do you remember that? Yeah. Linda's like colour books. Yeah. Yeah, Think about it. Yeah. Think about this. Listen, kids. Listen, kids. Let us tell you about the dark days of the web. This is, you know, before... CSS was even a glint in Bert's eye, right? Not Bird's eye, Bert's eye. And if you wanted to know about your WebSafe colours, you bought a book. (laughs) You bought a book about them. We all had so many books. That was the thing. There wasn't really anywhere to look anything up. And I mean, my first job in a a sort of dot-com company, we used to get big shipments of books, reference books. Because you needed them. Because there wasn't anywhere to be looking this stuff up. See, them were the days. Them were the days. And now, I don't know what people have got to complain about. Because, and this leads us neatly, and this is what a professional segue, onto you know the topic of the conversation, which is CSS Grid. Because things are just actually really bloody easy now. Yeah, Compared certainly. to what they used to be. Yeah, a lot easier than what they used to be. I think, yeah, that's, I guess, easier for us to see having sort of got that 20 years of experience where we're looking back and thinking, you know, things are a bit better. Well, this whole grid thing has really exploded over the mm. last, I don't know, couple of years. I mean, you've been working with the CSS Working Group on the grid spec for what, how long? Um, well, I, so I came across it over five years ago uh, with the uh, initial Microsoft implementation. I've got articles going back to sort of 2012 where I was writing about grid as being a thing. So it's in, and that was before I was a member of the CSS Working Group. I was just found it. I was writing about it. I already had an understanding of this this fact, this this very very real fact that new CSS stuff, in fact any kind of web platform stuff, if they don't have cheerleaders, they can disappear because everybody, you know, the CSS Working Group, the browser vendors, they're wanting to bring things to the platform that people want, and so. If no one's talking about a thing, if no one seems interested, then perhaps it's just not a thing that people want and, and therefore time is better spent somewhere else. Just like with any product, really, you know, you spend your time on the stuff that people actually want shipping. Um, and so when I saw Grid, I was kind of really keen just to keep a bit of profile for it and just get some more people talking about it too. So that was really my sort of motive for, for just keeping posting things about and speaking about this technology, which nobody else could use yet. Uh, was was just to make sure that it stayed there as something that people were thinking about. I mean, I think it's largely thanks to you and a couple of other people that this has become the tool that I think the last statistic that I saw was 83% of contemporary browsers now support Grid. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's huge. Nothing like that has ever really happened before, especially not for such a huge piece of work. You know, this isn't just a, a couple of properties. You know, it's an awful lot of work. You know, from the the, the browser engineers doing this work. You know, the the people at Egalia who did the work in Blink and in, into WebKit, and obviously the Firefox engineers and the Edge engineers. You know, the the amount of work that's gone into not just getting this into the browsers, but also discussing how everything is going to work. You know, it's just been a vast amount of work, and for all that to land pretty much at the same time was was really sort of groundbreaking. That's not happened before with anything. Well, I made a decision when I redesigned the Stuff and Nonsense website at the beginning of the year to just use Grid. I mean, okay, yeah, there's some flexbox in there for component tree, but you know, I wanted to use Grid. I wanted to learn about you know how it worked, and you know, what better way of doing it than dicking around with your own website and you know one of the things that I kind of you know made the decision on quite early on you know after checking the stats and you know talking to some people was you know I wasn't going to use any fallbacks you know my audience is you know predominantly webby and you know if I'm going to work for a client they're likely not to be a government organization that still runs IE7 so I made the decision not to use any fallbacks at all. And so far, so good. I mean, what's the current state of play? Do you think that, I mean, what's, is there a big high profile site out there right now? And I think you, you actually maintain a list of them somewhere. Yes, I've got, I've got a few. There's, there's, there's not sort of a really huge site that's completely adopted grid. There are plenty of places. I mean, for instance, Stripe are using a lot of grid and they've written about their their use of it. Uh, I think the New York Times have got bits. There's quite a lot of people have started by, you know, on the sort of the, the big site world. I mean, you know, those sites take forever to, to rebuild. So even if one of them was to say, oh, we're going to be shipping a new design, it's probably going to be a year's time before they even actually get anything out of the door. But a lot of these sites are starting to use CSS Grid for various components, which is, of course, a really good way to start with things. You know, with new stuff, you can say, well, let's let's do this component. It'd be really hard to build in any other way. Let's build that and use Grid for it. Uh, and okay, some people might see a much plainer design, but that's okay. So I think we're starting to see a lot of that happening, you know, with teams where there are people who've who've learned this stuff and are starting to play around with it. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to take time before we see the really big redesigns that are just you know, all CSS grid. It reminds me a little bit of when we first started doing CSS layout for the first time. And when we started to see those big sites shipping their CSS layout versions rather than their tables for layout versions. And and that took a while. But that was really, because that was really key, wasn't it? You know, because then we're like, oh, these big sites have said it's okay that they've done this. Well, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about, I was just racking my brains thinking which of those sites kind of went first. And, the one that first comes to mind is Doug Bowman's redesign of Wired. Yes. I think yeah, that was I've... the first major CSS layout site that I can remember. And I think Lycos was also one. <laughs> remember Lycos? God, this is yeah. like a walk down memory lane. Yeah, this is what happens when you get two old geeks together. You, know? <laughs> you speak for yourself. <laughs> but I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what that first big you know, momentous CSS grid site is going to be apart from stuff and nonsense, obviously, which is, you know, a major destination for, you know, one or two web designers. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. And also, I mean, part of me is, although, you know, some, you know, CSS grid is kind of, it felt a bit like my baby by the time the thing ended up in, in browsers because I'd been talking about it for so long. But I'm now kind of 
really trying to reframe that conversation a little bit and saying, look, this is just part of a layout system. Uh, because one of the things I've started to see of people who are essentially trying to reinvent other parts of CSS using CSS Grid. So they're trying to invent multi-column layout using CSS Grid. I'm like, well, we've got multi-column layout if you want that kind of layout. Or they're literally trying to reinvent floats. And I'm like, if you want to float something, then float that thing. This all still works. And so trying to kind of reframe this conversation that, yes, it's a separate spec. You know, we've got the grid spec and we've got support for grid in browsers. But, you know, it, it's not the only thing that you're going to use to to do layout. And I think the the neat thing we've got now is we've actually got choices, you know, real choices, not just a technical limitation as we had in the past. You know, there's probably only one way to do this in a reasonable manner. And, and it's going to be, you know, floats and percentage widths. We've now got choice. Uh, even in, Even just using grid, you've got a bunch of choices as to how you actually use it. And I think that is really interesting in itself. You know, how, how do we create layout systems using all of these new tools? Um, and so I'm sort of, that's where I'm kind of moving with my own discussion about this is, is, you know, don't see these things in isolation. I haven't come across one yet because I, I haven't been looking, but you can bet your bottom dollar that somebody's recreated bootstrap in CSS Grid. Oh, they send them to me. I, I get, every couple of weeks, I guess, I get an email and it will be someone with their CSS Grid-based grid framework that they've started work on and what they're trying to do is turn it back into something which is more like if you try and do a one-dimensional layout using say flexbox so they'll have everything set in percentages and they're they're basically sort of yeah turning a two-dimensional layout method into a one-dimensional layout method they'll have row wrappers like what are those for css grid has rows and it's that mental shift is so difficult i think from what came before that the people are just trying to to turn grid back into something they understand as opposed to saying, okay, what I know about doing layout on the web has changed um, and and sort of adopting this new way of thinking. Um, so I think that that's quite a big thing for people to move past. Yeah, I mean, it does take a mental shift. But also I'm just thinking back to, you know, the, what big site might jump first Anyway, thinking about these, you know, the, the importance of those kind of early CSS sites was that not only was, you know, this is possible, but also they were great kind of educational teaching aids and they would inspire people to, you know, go off and kind of, you know, make practical stuff with bits of CSS. I can't say, you know, I mean, it's, you put out some fabulous, you know, layout tutorials and stuff like that and i think everybody must have seen grid by example.com by now but i wonder where the inspiring education pieces are going to come from because a lot of the stuff that i've seen tends to be you know oh let's let's recreate this 1930s constructivist layout in css grid because you know now we can do it and I do wonder sometimes if, you know, do you remember that old thing where people would say, oh, well, it's all right to use these new things on your blog, but, you know, you have to wait 14 years until you can use them for clients. And I'm just thinking maybe that with grid is because a lot of the stuff that you see is it's not really that I can't relate to it. You know, I can't think, oh, I'm going to do an e-commerce site this way or, you know, oh, I'm going to relay out a new site. There's there's a lot of that kind of, I don't know, shiny going on. Well, I think there's two things. I think there's everyone has to learn this. So before you can be creative with something, you have to understand it. You know, you have to understand the medium. So I think at the moment we're still very much in a period where 
people are saying, yes, I can see this is good. And they're having to actually learn how to use it and what it can do. And there's so many new kind of constructs in there to learn and to understand that that takes a fair bit of time. So I think that's that's part of it. Is it's difficult to be creative with something you don't yet fully understand. Um, and so kind of rebuilding. I mean, one of the things I do in my workshop is I get people to rebuild like magazine layouts. And partly that's because I want to get them away from thinking about a 12-column grid. I want them to get away from thinking oh, we just, you know, we should just be using this to reproduce Bootstrap. So, you know, we build these magazine layouts because it's a very quick way for them to realize, oh, you know, we can have white space. We can, you know, have things that are that understand the height of other elements and so on and all of that stuff which which comes. And then I think there's these sort of two halves of this. There's There's one part that as someone who mainly builds user interfaces, this just makes my job quicker. You know, I can do all the things I could do before. I can do them in half the time using Grid and Flexbox. So that's neat. And there's an awful lot of people building for the web. That's that's really where it's going to stop. They just need to build tried and tested user interfaces and be able to do them faster. Well, that's cool. But then, yeah, there's this new potential for creativity and for art direction. And I I kind of have this idea, and I'm not a designer, but I kind of have this idea that the way things are that are kind of web-like, we would say, oh, this is web design as opposed to print design. A lot of that is based on the technical limitations of the past. So we have these quite simple-looking layouts that you know that are popular that almost date back to CSS. You know the CSS layout when it first started. And if we can get past that thinking in technical limitations and just think, well, what would be a really good way to solve this problem? I think that's probably where the new stuff, the new real web design, comes from. And I do worry about the magazine thing a little bit i mean you've just edited a, an article for smashing magazine which i've written on uh, css grid thank you by the way and you know one of the things that i did in this article was to you know come up with a bunch of hard-boiled examples and you know the one that i walked through was actually based on a uh, a neville brody layout from the face magazine in the 1980s i'm a big you know neville brody fan but, you know, whenever I've done stuff like this in the past, you know, you do get people with that whole kind of, you know, well, the web isn't print thing. You know, what's the what's the use of just kind of, you know, reproducing paper layouts on a screen? But I, I understand that, you know, that it's, it's about breaking that mental model. No, but I, I do worry about this sort of stuff because I, I don't want, and this is one of the reasons for, you know, writing the little book that I'm writing, is that I don't want people to confuse art direction with, you know, hanging pull quotes. You know, there's there's obviously, it's for me anyway, there's it's a lot more about the thinking behind, you know, why you would do something and how it makes people feel rather than, you know, the technical execution. But I suppose we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's still pretty early days. You know, I feel like I've been living with this stuff now for years because I have. And I think that, you know, there's a whole bunch of understanding that people need to come to to really be able to leverage this stuff. And I, I, I think that those who have that level of understanding, there's, there's only a few and they tend to be the more technical people because that's how these things are. You know, something new turns up and it's it's the, the technical people are going to quickly grab onto it because we're used to reading specifications and and things it takes a bit longer for people to be creating the materials that help to spread it because i i think if you don't have the baggage of the past and certainly in workshops i see this new people completely new to css people find grid very very straightforward 
all the people who have a lot of knowledge about how to wrangle floats and so on struggle. They struggle to shift their thinking. So that's that's quite interesting. And I think it just takes a bit of time. I tried to explain how to use grid template areas on uh, Paul Boag's podcast a couple of weeks ago. Not very successfully, I've got to say, because when you try to say you write grid template areas, dot, 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 it's not the best way of teaching somebody how to use template areas. Where do people need to start? I mean, it's CSS, sorry, grid by example is, uh, you know, obviously something that is dear to your heart. But, you know, what for designers that are coming to this new, what's, what's the best way of doing it? So I think I think uh, Jen Simmons has been doing a sort of different take on the video tutorial stuff. She's doing a load of, you know, just speaking to camera, uh, explaining concepts. And I think she's got quite a good take on the stuff. Um, her videos on YouTube, um, it's, it's Layout Land. If you search for Layout Land, you'll, you'll find those. So we can put it in the show notes. Um, so that's a different take and might sort of speak a bit to diff- a different type of person. My stuff tends to be relatively technical because that's what I do. I, I show code on screens. That, that's, kind, that's kind of how I do things. Um, so that that'd be a good a good start for a lot of people. You know, I do think looking at design and not immediately thinking of the technical limitations. I think a lot of people have been taught, oh, you can't do this on the web. That's quite common. You know, if someone is more of a designer and they're designing things that someone else is going to build, they're going to be very used to the developer coming back to them and saying, oh, you can't do this on the web. This doesn't work on the web. You know, you you can't, we don't know how tall things are. We can't have these things equal heights. We can't center this properly, whatever it is. And I think right now we've got a chance to redefine that, redefine what works on the web, because a whole bunch of things work on the web now that did not work on the web. And so anyone who is, really a designer, but has had this sort of weight of being told constantly by developers that they can't do this, that, and the other. I think now is a really good time for designers to actually look at what is possible and be able to, you know, talk to their developers and say, you know, actually, there's a whole bunch of new things that are now possible. And and can we, can we look at that? Can we use those things in our designs? Uh, I've actually just come back from from leading a workshop that was for UI designers and having those conversations. And a lot of the people in the workshop weren't really that interested in learning how to code grid. What they wanted was they wanted to understand how it worked so they could have those conversations with their developers, which I thought, you know, that's a, a different way of, of teaching this stuff. And, and hopefully it's going to enable a bunch of people to start using these things in a more creative way. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I was just thinking as you were saying that, I was just remembering a conversation that I had with Mark Porter, who was on the show a few episodes ago. And I remember we were working on a project for a Norwegian financial newspaper. And, you know, Mark obviously famously was creative director at The Guardian and, you know, was coming up these layouts in InDesign. And I was having exactly that kind of designer developer conversation. It's like, no, actually, Mark, you can't align your image captions to the bottom baseline of an image. You know, this was before Flexbox even. So I think you make a great point, actually. And, you know, the more that designers can see some of these kind of, you know, practical examples that kind of make sense to them in the work that they're doing, the better, really. Yeah, and I think a really good tip actually for anyone who is more of a designer is is to get hold of a copy of Firefox and use the Firefox dev tools for grid and just look at how some of these CSS grid designs that are coming out, look at how they're put together. You know, use the dev tools because they're really good in Firefox and just look at how the grids are constructed 
and what people are doing. I think that's a really sort of visual way into this, just to see what other people have done uh, in the way that we would just sort of view source in the past and, and pick things apart. You can actually now use dev tools. And I think the fact they're called developer tools might put off a lot of people who are, you know, wouldn't consider themselves a developer. But Firefox in particular have been putting a lot of work into essentially layout tools, and which is what they are. And so, you know, go, opening up those tools, looking at how a design's put together, you know, you can sort of see all the lines of the grid and, and hover over stuff and see how big things are. Uh, that's a really good way, I think, just to start thinking in this way and realizing what it is to have a bunch of things that actually have relationship to each other and so they can be aligned with each other and so on. I think uh, that's a re- really good place to start rather than starting with, you know, this is the code. Perhaps start with, well, what does the code let us do? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, the best way that I think I learned back in the day, and this was, you know, before developer tools, was, you know, you just take a a piece of CSS and, you know, change a property and refresh the browser and bingo, you could actually, I I learn visually. And, you know, that was a, a really good way. So, I mean, I was when I was designing the uh, the stuff and nonsense uh, stuff and nonsense website. I was determined that I was going to pile in a whole load of stuff, grid, CSS, custom properties, which again I don't think too many people are really talking about, and shapes. And actually, I use the Dev Tools in Chrome to come up with the polygons that you know wrap around this stuff. So the more that's kind of built into a browser, the better, really. You know, particularly when there's a whole load of new stuff in Grid. I mean, you, we, I mean, we touched on it earlier on, but you know, there's there's various different ways in which you can actually make a, a layout in Grid. You know, you can either define the rows or the columns, and then position you know elements inside it, or you can do what I wrote that article about, which is not how I did it on the uh, on the stuff and nonsense website. I do keep meaning to actually go back and switch this thing over to using grid template areas. But you know, there's there's different ways of actually constructing the layout. But there's a whole load of new new units in there too. Which you know, I was when I discovered the min max unit or the is it min content? I was like, holy cow! This is like, why can't I use this everywhere? Yeah, I mean, be able to set the minimum size and maximum size for things. Um, the same is true for things like fit content, which we will be able to use everywhere, where you can say, well, you know, get as big as you need to, unless you get to this size, then please stop getting bigger because uh, I want you to wrap there. I mean, those sort of things make a huge difference. The and Anything to do with sizing, I, I, I'm going to be talking about sizing in CSS all year because I think that how big things are has become very important in CSS because we were sizing everything in percentages, which is kind of understandable. You know, you sort of like, well, just don't be more than 100% and everything will be fine. Whereas now we've got all of these much more subtle ways of allowing content to dictate how big it is and doing space distribution, you know, whatever space is left over, how are we going to deal with that? Uh, Which are very different concepts than well, I've got 100% and how how much of that percent am I going to give to the things inside, which is what we were doing in the past. So I think that actually understanding sizing and understanding these different ways we've got of creating sizing is really, really important at the moment. Oh, no, that's going to be great. I mean, there's the, the whole min-max, and for anybody that kind of hasn't used this already, basically you say, right, well, I'm going to define the smallest that this thing is going to be and the biggest thing that this is going to be. And that's it. You know, we, you don't have to kind of, you know, wrangle with 
putting padding to the right of something just to kind of make the line length a little bit shorter, you know, or any of that kind of malarkey. It's it's fabulous. Explain the FR unit to me. <laughs> right. Okay. So when people see the FR, so the FR unit, it represents a fraction of space and crucially, it represents a fraction of available space. So when people first come across FR, they'll think, oh, well, I've got a grid, which is as no, say if you had a grid of 300 pixels wide and you made a grid of three 1FR units, well, then each track should end up 100 pixels, which is kind of true, but not quite. Because if anything in one of those tracks is bigger, it's going to already use up a bunch of space. And so what's actually distributed by the FR unit is a portion of the available space. So the the track that's got more stuff in is going to already take up a bunch of space and then whatever's left over is what's shared out. So a kind of a common misconception is that it's just sharing out equally everything in the grid container and it's not. It's actually sharing out what's left. It's a bit more like, if you know Flexbox already, it's a bit more like um, having a flex basis of auto and then setting everything to flex grow one. Uh, it'll only be the available space that's shared out. So both the FR unit and sort of the way that Flexbox works are just really useful for me as just yeah, just just distribute what space is left over, uh, which which has typically been very difficult to do. It means you can have a fixed width thing in a container and then some flexible things and so on. Uh, if you're old, the Holy Grail layout is is a sort of example of that. I do wonder sometimes though, about terminology that the CSS Working Group comes up with because you know there are existing terms for a lot of the stuff that you know is in grid. You know, we talk about. You know, we talk about modules, we talk about spatial zones, and, you know, some stuff carries over, you know, talk about, you know, gutters, but then it's a grid gap. And, you know, I don't know, I don't want to sound all Mark Bolton, but, you know, I, I do wonder sometimes, you know, where the terminology comes in, because, you know, it's sometimes it can be more confusing than, you know, an Apple Mac lineup. Well, I think it's potentially confusing for people who have a traditional graphic design training. However, that isn't an awful lot of people who are building websites. I mean, there, there is a group of people for whom the terminology might be confusing, but there's also a whole other group of people, many of whom are non-English speaking, for whom the graphic design terminology is confusing. And so it's, and also there's not a direct mapping. I mean, Gap is a really good example of that, actually. There's not a direct mapping between a gutter or an alley in print design and what is currently called grid gap, would actually just be gap, because we're putting it so it can be used in all different layout methods which is another point oh stop stop there rachel stop there hang on there's a gem and you glossed over it as if it was nothing you can use gap in anything else so yeah so in august last year it, the CSS working group voted to rename the gap properties so while grid gap grid column gap grid row gap will probably remain forever in implementations as essentially an alias they're being renamed to gap, column gap, and row gap so that they can be used everywhere. They're already used, well, column gaps are already used in multi-column layout. Uh, the idea being, say, in Flexbox, you could use the gap properties to, so you don't have to do margins on either side of, of flex items. And really, in any layout method, that where it makes sense, uh, just like alignment, uh, they've actually moved into the box alignment specification uh, because they are an alignment thing. Because box alignment deals with space distribution and so on, as, as well as actually aligning things. So yeah, any layout method that it makes sense in. I mean, for, hint, for instance, if we ended up with something that lets us do like the masonry type layout, well, that would have gaps. 
Uh, so it would it makes sense to have them as, as sort of a, an abstracted thing that can be, then be used anywhere. So at the moment, you can, there's no browser implementations for, say, Flexbox, but hopefully soonish there will be, and we'll be able to use gaps in Flexbox as well, uh, which is which is pretty neat. But Whoa. yeah, I mean, sort of the the original point was that the gap isn't the only thing that affects this. So if you've set a gap of 10 pixels and then you use, you know, justify content space between, you get a bigger gap. If you have used a margin on the item, you get a bigger gap. And so calling these things a guttural and alley makes it sound like this is a strict spacing that will always be. And it's absolutely not. Uh, You have to make it strict if you want it to be uh, by being very careful what else you apply. Whoa, I'm speechless. I'm still thinking about gap on, oh, no, all this other stuff. Well, it doesn't happen very often. That's genius. Yeah, there's a lot of thought goes into this stuff, you know. And I think that's it. With with naming, it's hard. It, no, it is. And I wasn't kind of, you know, being an old kind of print design curmudgeon and talking about the old stuff. Sorry, I'm just speechless about this gap thing. I just, I, I actually had never thought, because I use multi-column layout all the time and i've been standing up in workshops that i teach for 10 years plus going you know who uses multi-column layout and like you know no hands go up and then five years later you say who uses multi-column layout and no hands go up so maybe with along with grid things like multi-column layout are actually going to start to be a little bit more um you know well seen because i think that it's multi-column layout supported in edge now which was always the biggest issue with ie actually most of the problems with multicolum layout are actually problems of fragmentation but so i'm I'm now the co-editor of the multicolum layout spec because it was kind of abandoned for a long time and yeah i thought it shouldn't be so I'm, i'm now editing that spec and there's also quite a lot of movement from the browser vendors to sort of fix up their implementations because there are implementation issues because the spec was wasn't edited for ages so hopefully we're going to make multi-call better because it's it's the only layout method we have that does that sort of thing that says, well, here's a bunch of stuff and just arrange it into columns that it flows into. We don't have another layout method that behaves like that. So it is useful for certain tasks. I love it. I mean, I use it not just for like laying out blocks of text, but you know the, you know the thing where, um, you know, you go down to the footer on a website on a phone in, you know, portrait orientation and there's a bunch of footer links you know all the stuff that nobody ever reads but there's you know like 10 links if you look at microsoft's footer on a phone it's about 4000 pixels tall because you know there's all these links so what i started to do was to use multi-column layout when you turn the phone into a landscape orientation so that you get two or maybe three columns and I've used it to death. You know, I've used it for navigation. I've used it for all kinds of stuff. And yet there are some things that happen when you put certain styling on. For example, if you take a, a list, an unordered list or an ordered list, you apply multi-column layout to the list itself. It works like a dream. And then the minute that you, uh, let's say you've got, you know, six items in that list. And then the minute that you apply something like margin bottom to, you know, any of those, the, the LIs to kind of space things out a little bit nicer, you find that the bottom padding on list item number three spills over into the top of the second column. And then the top, then the bloody things don't line up and you just go, Argh! yeah. A lot of these are actually issues with fragmentation. So it's yeah, it's how how do things break between columns? 
And browsers typically uh, deal with fragmentation very badly in, in all sorts of ways. Um, you'll notice it if you do a print style sheet and, and things end up all over the place. So I think that, yeah, there's this kind of with multicol, you end up with the same sort of fragmentation in multicol as you do if you create, you know, you're printing to a multiple page document. It's, it's pretty much the same sort of properties. So, yeah, there's kind of two sets of things going on. There's the fact that there's a lot of stuff in multicol isn't spec'd very well. You know, it was never kind of really clarified in the way that newer specs, you know, are very detailed for how they should be implemented. There's lots of vague stuff in multicol that we're sort of trying to work through. But as well, some of those issues are to do with fragmentation and fragmentation isn't supported that well in, in browsers generally, which is why, you know, if you want to do output stuff to PDF, you end up needing to use a, a proper PDF renderer like prints rather than being able to just do it from the browser and get a good result. Rachel, you do know that you're my favorite web developer in the whole world. I mean, like just my favorite. And I'm going to be so nice to you. I'm going to be really nice. I'm going to be nicer than people can actually ever imagine that I would be. Because there's so many things in multi-column layout that if you're the boss, if you're wearing the trousers on the CSS working group, then there's so <laughs> many things that I would like to suggest that you could do to improve it. Like, for example, I would, you know how you got border image? I'd like to be able to apply the border image properties to the column, whatever they call the divider. Column oh, the column rule. rule. Yep, I'd like that, please. Yep, that. Well, you know, you know what you need to do with this. You need to go to the you need to go to the CSS working group spec thing and raise them as an issue against the spec because that's what you can do. I mean, really, that's how anything gets added. Is is you know, if people raise it. I'll make sure it's discussed. I mean, that's, you know, no. as a spec editor, that's kind of uh, my job, really. If someone says, I'd like to see this, you know, let's raise it against the spec. And, and also that lets other people add their comments. You should see the thread for masonry type layout in grid. You know, there's a great big thread. Someone added the comment. There's this huge thread of people commenting about it. Various other ones are the same. So it, it's definitely worth raising issues against the spec um, for anyone to do that. And and if you raise them against the spec that I'm involved with, I'll be very, very pleased and, and friendly and make sure it is brought up for discussion. That just sounds really boring. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is I want to have you on the podcast every week and a half. and Or I'll just send you emails. And I'll say, hey, here's an idea. And everybody should do that. They should just, no, maybe not. But there's so many things that I wish that you could do. I wish that you could well, if people send me If people send me use cases, yeah. <laughs> but I do wish that you could style. Yeah. A, and I will bring I, I this need, back yeah. to Grid in a minute. Yeah, I need to see use cases, yeah. I would love to be able to style the columns themselves. You know, I'd love to be able to treat them almost like pseudo elements so that, you know, you could do alternate color backgrounds that, you know, alternate. And I'd like to be able to put, and I'm going to bring it back to Grid now, I'd like to do the same thing with Grid ultimately. And, you know, I'd like to be able to put rules between, you know, in, in the middle of Grid tracks. Yeah, we've, so, we've, we've got that raised. And, and, and you're right, it is a kind of pseudo element, essentially, that, that is needed to do that. Well, that's what I think you should do. You just, need, you just need to talk to me and I'll give you all the ideas that you need. Because I've got loads. We could talk about this for, well, ages. Let's bring this back to grid a little bit more, because one of the things that concerns me when I 
put on my accessibility hat, which is a very fetching hat, by the way. You don't get to wear it very often in Australia because it's quite woolly. But, you know, when I put on my accessibility hat and I sort of look at a lot of the examples, particularly some of the, you know, the, the magazine layouts that we talked about, you know, where we're obviously putting to the HTML together in what we think is the most appropriate source order, you know, ah, the sidebar needs to come after the content, for example. And then we're flipping it around visually so that the sidebar appears, you know, before it or on the left or anywhere else next door. What's the issue with accessibility and content order? Right, yeah. So in, in the spec, both in the grid and the Flexbox spec, um, it's very clear that the logical order of the document that's what any sort of non-visual user agent is going to follow. So anyone who, say, is tabbing around the documents, they're using their keyboard or some other device to navigate, they haven't got a mouse, or a screen reader or what have you, that's going to follow the order that is in the source and not the visual order. So you can imagine with Grid, it'd be very easy to end up with a situation where you know you start at the top left and then suddenly you jump right down to the bottom of the document, you know, two pages down, and then jump back up again because you've reordered things. And that would obviously be a really horrendous experience. So you need to be fairly careful with this content reordering that you don't sort of break the connection between the source and the way things are displayed. And really a simple way to test that is can you keyboard navigate around your site still? Um, it's, it's a bit more subtle than that because obviously um, screen readers can go from sort of heading to heading and so on. Um, but a, a, a reasonable first test is can you still sort of tab around and, and end up at everything. I mean, that's a good test anyway. Can you still keyboard navigate around your site, whatever you're doing? So yeah, that that it is an issue because obviously we've we've given people this power to do this reordering, and then we're saying don't use it. And in the spec, it actually says don't do it. Don't you know? Don't don't break the order of stuff. And I think it's probably something that needs actually does need addressing. And and, and we've, I've certainly been involved in discussions with um, people on the accessibility side about well, what could we do to allow authors the chance to actually say, well, you know, a device should follow the visual order at this point. But we haven't got that yet. So at the moment, the best advice is be very, very careful when doing any kind of reordering and test it carefully with with sort of, can you still keyboard navigate um, and so on. See, there's another thing I've not thought about for decades, tab index. Yeah. And you don't want to be having to sort of try and control the tab order all that that's never going to work very well so and obviously it could change different breakpoints yeah i think it's a difficult one because we've given people this ability to to do this and, and then we're saying but it's your responsibility not to make a mess but then you know that's that's kind of our jobs yeah no it's just interesting you know when i see a lot of the you know the grid examples and i keep banging on about this and we don't want to teach people bad habits so yeah, it'd be really nice if we start to say, I haven't really, I haven't really read much about grid and accessibility. Is there anything much out there? I can put together some notes for the some stuff for the show notes. There's, there's a few people have there's a couple of videos that are useful. There are there are a few things that have been written and 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 recorded about it. And I think you know the, those of us who've been talking about grid for a while do tend to say this when we introduce the ability to do reordering and so on we, we we try and do so in a responsible way but and there's obviously you know once once there are like visual tools out there that allow people to create grid layouts the problem gets worse because they're going to encourage people to kind of drag things around and, and so on so i think it's it it's an ongoing story and i'm i'm not an accessibility expert i am someone who cares about accessibility and i try and 
get advice on these things from from the people who who do know what they're talking about. Yeah, me too. I mean, I suppose you mentioned, you know, testing with the keyboard a minute ago. One of the sort of the last things that I wanted to, um, you know, just talk about on the show with you was using grid for actually designing, you know, actual prototyping of stuff, whether or not you think that you can let go of IE 11 or use this stuff in production, actually using grid as a design or a prototyping tool is awesome yes yeah it is you know i put together a a quick concept for some style guide layouts fairly recently and i think that i went from you know kind of pencil sketches to you know a a beautifully responsive grid-based layout in about 45 seconds yeah it's brilliant for that and that's what i keep saying to people you know people will say well you know we have a corporate policy that our site has to work in IE9, we can't use any of this modern stuff. And I'm like, fine, but you can still learn it. You know, if you're own sort of professional development, use it for prototyping. You know, use it, just, you, you might have to rebuild that thing in older layout methods. And that means that cert, certain things in grid you're not going to be able to use because you just can't replicate them. But, you know, that's one way to learn it. You know, learn how to use it as a prototyping tool. I was using grid template areas to prototype things that I was then rebuilding. Three years before Grid shipped into into production browsers, because I, I was like, this is really easy. And even as a non-designer, I could try things out, uh, which as a non-designer, that tends to be what I need to do. I need to see it and then think, oh yeah, actually that that kind of works, um, because I don't really have any anything I'm sort of falling back on in terms of understanding really what I'm doing. Um, so so actually, just prototyping with with these methods turns out to be really useful, and that is one way if you really feel that in your your work it's not possible, and then there certainly are people who are doing sites that do have to work a, a very long way back or you know working for people who just will not accept that websites can look different in certain browsers you know but for your own professional development start learning this stuff because you might not be in that job forever and prototyping is is definitely a good way to be doing that are you not a designer i'm not no <laughs> i'm very 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 bad at design I sometimes design things that I just hope no one's eyes bleed when they see them. That's a, that's as far that's that's a success for me. No, I mean it is. You know, I think about the number of times in the past, and it's it's got better with you know as as the browsers have got better over the years. But the number of times, you know, back in the day, you would you know you produce a design for something, you know, in Fireworks or Photoshop. There's some old school software for your kids, and you know, or sketch now for the newfangled youth of today. And, you know, the client says, yeah, but it'd be much better if we, you know, move the sidebar from the left to the right using a stupid old example. Well, you know, doing that in grid is just so easy. And the other thing that I was actually thinking about the other day as I was putting some stuff together was actually building things in grid for user testing. So that, you know, people can actually, you know, test, A, B, test, you know, different hierarchy of content, you know, so you're putting, you know, the special offers underneath rather than at the top, which is a crazy thing to do. But that's the sort of thing where I think that you don't necessarily need to be putting the grid site out in the world, but it's just such a brilliant tool for designing, prototyping, sitting there with a client and getting the layout right. And the other thing that that occurred to me the other day was, you know, we're all making style guides. Everybody's making a style guide. I bought a newspaper the other day, you know, the guy in the newsagent is sitting there making a style guide. Everybody makes a style guide. 
And even if you're making a style guide for some kind of stuffy old corporate, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't use grid for that either. There's so many things that we make. Yeah, no, I just think it's just such an awesomely cool thing to be learning. And, you know, these things don't come along very often when you get a chance to, you know, really get your teeth into a new bit of CSS. So this this is just fabulous. And, you know, the fact that it is also able to, you know, allow us to, you know, be more creative, if that's how you describe it, or even better, you know, lay out content so that it's kind of more meaningful or powerful. That's just brilliant. And it's come at exactly the right time, I think, for me. Yeah, yeah. I feel very excited about sort of, you know, what is becoming possible on the web at the moment, you know, purely from a CSS point of view, which is great because there's so much else going on as well. Um, but, you know, I think what's happening in CSS and the speed of browser adoption as well, I, it makes it a really exciting time. Well, thank you very much for, you know, spending an hour with me talking about CSS Grid. I think that it's it's fabulous. And, you know, I've got to say thank you very much for all of the stuff that you've been doing to, you know, not only make the specification work and stuff, but, you know, all of those tools that you're putting out there for free, which are fabulous. And you make it really, really, really difficult for people like me that sell tutorials. But anyway, we'll talk about that another day. Thanks, Rachel. Okay. Thank you. It's been great being on as always.